When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the John Clay Podcast. I'm John Clay, sports columnist with the Lexington Arrow Leader and Kentucky.com. Today we're going to preview the Kentucky-Mississippi State football game, which is Saturday night. It's a 7.30 kickoff at Kroger Field. The SEC Network has the telecast. To preview the game, I talked with Parrish Alford, our good friend from down in Mississippi at the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal. Uh, we talked with Parrish about the Bulldogs, who are off to a 5-1 and one start. They're 2-1 and one in the SEC. Mike Leach's team has been playing really well of late. Uh, they took apart Arkansas last Saturday uh, in Starkville, uh, and they beat Kentucky pretty handily last year down in Starkville after Kentucky defeated Mississippi State the year before in the 2020 year when they intercepted six passes to beat Mike Leach and his first year at Mississippi State. To talk about Kentucky, I talked with my friend and colleague John Hale of the Herald Leader and Kentucky.com about the Wildcats are coming off that 24-14 loss to South Carolina last Saturday. Uh, did so without the services of Will Levis, who uh, missed the game with a foot injury. Uh, we do expect that Will will be back on Saturday, but I talked to John about that and about the offense and the defense heading into Saturday's game. A quick reminder, you can follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV. You can check out our subscriptions to Kentucky.com and the Lexington Arrow Leader by going to Kentucky.com, hitting on the subscription tab. Check out all those offers. We really appreciate everybody who supports our work at the Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. And we really appreciate everybody who listens to the podcast. And without any further ado, let's get right to the guests on the podcast. First, Parrish Alford of the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal, and then John Hale of the Lexington Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. Okay, okay. we welcome into the podcast our friend Parrish Offord, who was nice enough to help us out with Ole Miss, and now he's helping us out with Mississippi State to give us a scouting report on the Bulldogs. How's it going, Parrish? John, it's going fine, man. Glad to be here with you. Glad to have you. Uh, I also want to thank Parrish. He helped me out on a restaurant recommendation in Oxford. My wife went with me on the trip. We were down there at the square. We ate at, I think it's Bure. Is that how you pronounce it? I think it's it's called Bure. Yeah. I'll tell you, John, the, the easiest thing in the world to do might be to give a restaurant recommendation for Oxford, Mississippi. <laughs> well, it was very good. It was uh, easy or not. It was very good. We both enjoyed the meal uh, and it really enjoyed our time in Oxford. So, And now we got Mississippi State coming in to play Kentucky on Saturday. What about this Mississippi State team? They're fi- off to a 5-1 and one start, 2-1, uh, and one, I believe, in the SEC. What about, how about the Bulldogs? I tell you, they're playing really well right now. They're on a three-game stretch. Uh, they had a had a really bad game uh, at LSU, and and, and LSU has, has done okay. Has had some nice moments, and uh, but that was a game that Mississippi State had a lot of self-inflicted damage, some drop passes, and some things like that. Uh, uh, really couldn't protect Will Rogers. Um, surprisingly, that's gotten a lot better as they've had an injury. Uh, on the uh, on the offensive line, they've really blocked well for him the last couple of weeks. Haven't given up a sack, but that that LSU game kind of stung. And then they got into a three game homestand, and they they have really 
played at a high level. They started out with Bowling Green, but the last two weeks against Texas A&M and Arkansas have won by 18 and and 23. Uh, Interesting, um, both of those games, State had the advantage of the other team being without a key player. And it sounds like following the the Kentucky coverage that that maybe Will Levis is going to be back. Uh, I know they're preparing for him. But that being said, uh, Arkansas missing uh, K.J. Jefferson was not going to make up that uh, 23-point gap. I think State would have won that game regardless. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, the, we don't, we're recording this. We perish on Wednesday afternoon. We don't know for sure about Will, but he did practice on Monday and Tuesday. We don't know how much he pra- how much he did practice, but he did practice, which I think is, puts him ahead of where he was at this time last week. So that's an encouraging sign for Kentucky. Uh, you mentioned Will Rogers off to a really good start, really high completion percentage. Uh, what about his play so far? He's been very accurate. Uh, I thought he did a good job of uh, standing in the pocket and making those uh, reads and and progressions against Arkansas. Arkansas did a lot of drop eight. I didn't always try to pressure him. Uh, Even when they rushed him a little more in the second half, he was still protected. And uh, just, you know, a couple times, uh, he just stood back there so long and and finally, uh, when a, a guy did get close to him, he was able to slide left or slide right. And, you know, keep plays alive. He's not a big runner. He's not going to do that. Man, in fact, when he takes off running, you're, you're kind of scared for his health. But uh, he really, he's, uh, he's been very accurate. And, uh, you know, his touchdown to interception ratio is, is very impressive. Uh, he just plays like the experienced quarterback that he is. And, He's been a big part of of what they've been able to do on offense. Speaking of running the ball, it seems like Mike Leach, our old friend, former Kentucky assistant, he's running the ball a little, little more than normal. Uh, is is that true? And what do you think the reason for that is? Well, he is running it a little more. And I think the reason is just kind of uh, a response to what he's seeing from uh, from the defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but they've got a good group of backs and, and really led by Dylan Johnson, who – you look at his numbers and you look at the team stats and you'll always see that Mississippi State doesn't have very many rushing yards. Uh, but Johnson, man, he's a, he's a big guy at uh, 215. He's a banger in there, a physical runner. And he's had a lot of success uh, during his career catching passes out of the backfield. He's certainly utilized in that way. But he's doing more this season. Mike says he's hitting the hole better instead of hesitating and trying to feel his way, just just going in there fast and, and physical. And, and you can see that uh, in his yards after contact. But, you know, a lot of it's just in response to the fronts they're seeing and, and uh, the play calling uh, that way. Uh, anybody else on the, on the state defense that we should – I mean, I'm sorry, on the state offense that we should look for? Well, I'll tell you, the receivers – it's, it's different this year because Will Rogers is really spreading the ball out. He's got a number of guys that he trusts. Last year, even for an offense that throws the ball as much as they do, uh, you had Makai Polk who had 110 catches, and your next, your next guy, your next receiver, now the running backs, I think Dylan Johnson was up there, but your next receiver might have had like 50 or 45. Really? I mean, there was a, cl- there was a clear difference in the chemistry and the comfort level that Rodgers felt with Makai Polk. 
that's not the case this year. So, you know, who to watch for uh, among those receivers? It, it could be uh, a number of guys, whether it's Ra Ra Thomas or or a, a possession slot receiver like Austin Williams or maybe a, a Rufus Harvey, just a number of guys who could uh, come up with a big play. Caleb Ducking, uh, one of the outside receivers, a, a taller, more physical type. You know, he's in that mix as well. It, it could be a number of guys who could have a big day. Okay, let's switch over to the Mississippi State defense. Uh, Kentucky has talked about, they talked about it uh, uh, every year. Zach Arnett, the defensive coordinator, has been there at Mississippi State. It's an unusual type defense to go up against that three-three-five alignment. Uh, how have they played so far this year? They've been really good against the run, and they've done this with some injuries along that front. You know, they haven't oh. had uh, Jaden Crumity this year, uh, but they've They've got enough experience and depth at that position that they've been able to play well uh, in spite of that. So I'm, I'm kind of interested to see, you know, how they will match up with uh, Chris Rodriguez, who they, who they defended pretty well last year. Right. But uh, I think one of the guys to watch for is going to be linebacker Jet Johnson. Uh, he's, he's not a guy that's going to wow you with uh, uh, athleticism or speed and quickness, but he's a guy who is going to be – uh, in the right place at the right time and, and making plays, and he's a very sure tackler. One thing defensively uh, last week against Arkansas, and you know this was an Arkansas team that was going to run it most of the time uh, after they settled on Malik Hornsby at quarterback, and and maybe that had something to do with this. But there were a number of times during the game where Arkansas receivers were just wide open just running free in the secondary and uh, no defender within yards of them and you know when uh, Hornsby saw that uh, he uh, he made the Bulldogs pay and I don't know if that was just uh, you know uh, uh, idea of man they're running they're running they're running I got to get in position for that and all of a sudden the coverage breaks down uh, but that was that happened several times uh, against Arkansas Okay, let's switch. Okay, what about special teams? How has Mississippi State done in the kicking game? Uh, you know, uh, it's been hit and miss as far as uh, ex- extra points go, uh, but I think it's it's a little bit uh, ahead of last year's right. pace. Uh, I think they've been pretty good in the return game. Uh, if uh, if uh, Tulu Griffin gets a shot to return one, uh, he's been uh, been pretty good with that and you know coverage has been has been mostly good there were a couple of breakdowns against texas a&m but you know all in all i think uh, special teams have have been okay now when they played of course mike leach came came back to kroger field or commonwealth stadium as it was called before the renovation back in 2020 with the COVID year and Kentucky intercepted six passes and went 24 to two. But then last year when Kentucky went to Starkville, Mississippi State really had their way with Kentucky, uh, really beat them pretty much in every phase of the game uh, last year in Starkville. What, what about this year? What are, what are the keys for this Mississippi State team on Saturday? Well, I think they need to continue with their strong run defense and, and uh, you know, make sure they have a handle on Chris Rodriguez. I thought uh, in seeing the Wildcats, uh, at Ole Miss a couple of weeks ago, Rodriguez looked really fresh and strong. It was his first game back, uh, and I thought Ole Miss did a better job against him in the second half, and it looked like he had maybe a better all-around game against South Carolina. I, I really like him as a back, and I think they need to be aware of him and make sure that uh, 
you know, that they're just doing the things they normally do in the run game. And they got to make sure that, uh, that that pass coverage against Arkansas was uh, an isolated incident and not a trend. Right. Yeah. And of course, obviously, a big thing is going to be whether Levis is back to play and whether if they do make mm-hmm. those same kind of mistakes, Kentucky can, can take advantage of it. You know, and talking about the special teams, I watched the LSU game, the Mississippi State LSU game. Didn't they fumble a punt in that game that kind of sort of turned the tide or let it get away, <laughs> they, get, get away from them? They, they did fumble a punt. Uh, and it was Austin Williams back there. Very dependable uh, guy. Good hands was back there. They, they've used different guys back as, as the, uh, as the punt returner, but he was back there because he's an experienced veteran who uh, normally catches the ball. And look, there were a number of things they could have done better on that play. They could have blocked better. I mean, right. he had guys buzzing all around him right. uh, and, and he dropped the ball, but you know, you're there because you're the veteran, the experienced guy, and you're expected to, to catch the punt. And uh, he didn't. And LSU took the lead. Yeah, and you know Kentucky last week against uh, South Carolina, they had a punt blocked. They missed a field goal. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if the, in the game on Saturday night, if uh, it's the team that can avoid those kind of mistakes, who'll end up winning the game. I think it's a. Uh, I think you know Mississippi State is is favored, and I think deservedly so. But I think it's a fairly even matchup. So we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think it'll be a close game like that as well. And you know, typically it just comes down to who makes fewer mistakes. Right. Yeah, I think Rodgers will get his. You know, I think they'll protect him. They've shown they could do that. Um, we'll see. I'm interested to see how State plays on the road. You know, they got a nice road win against a rebuilding Arizona team. Uh, they really didn't play well in Baton Rouge. I, I think they'll be somewhere in the middle. So we'll we'll see uh, see how it goes for State on the road. Well, Parrish, remind the listeners again how they can find you on Twitter and how they can check out your coverage and uh, the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal's coverage online. Well, you can find us at djournal.com. I'm, I'm on Twitter at Parrish Alford. And uh, we have a couple of Facebook groups for Mississippi State and Ole Miss that uh, have a lot of good content there. Mississippi State discussion with Parrish Alford is a group that fans might be interested in this week. Well, be sure and check that out, and be sure and check Parrish out on Twitter. And Parrish, as always, once again, we really appreciate you being on the podcast. John, thanks a lot. It was a lot of fun. Okay, welcome into the podcast, John Hale, my friend and colleague at the Herald Leader, covers UK football for Kentucky.com and the Herald Leader. How's it going, John? Good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, let's Kentucky, Mississippi State on Saturday. Let's start with the number one question, the big question, Will – Will will <laughs> will will Levis play? It seems like it. Um, on the SEC teleconference Wednesday, Mark Stoops said that he had practiced and uh, every barring a setback, it, it seemed like he was going to play. We'll talk to Stoops again after practice today. Um, his line last week was, "It's Thursday. I can't predict the future." And so maybe we'll get something similar about that. You know, step off a curb on Friday or something. But uh, all indications are, it seems like he's going to play. Um, which is big for Kentucky because I don't, I don't think they have a chance to win this game without him based on what we saw against South Carolina. And with him, you know, I, I wrote about this today, but Rich Kangarello seems pretty convinced the offense was near a, a breakout the way they played at Ole Miss other than the, you know, obvious two fumbles at the end of the game. He thought they were close to clicking, and so now we'll get to put that to the test. If Will Levis is 100%, um, and Chris Rodriguez is out there, which we really haven't seen very much this season. Um, that those two together, it's it's time to kind of put up or shut up about whether this offense is any good. 
Okay. Uh, we don't know if Rich is just being, if he's, if he's on the level with us on that or if he's just being optimistic, positive thinking. Uh, what do you think after watching the offense at Ole Miss and the way you know we're, go- we're heading into the second half of the season? Does it feel to you like they're on the cusp of breaking out? I think it is important to note that they've only put, it's 40 snaps that Levis and Rodriguez have been on the field together. And that was all at Ole Miss when Chris was still obviously, you know, shaking off rust from his suspension. So I do think that alone gives you hope that the offense is, is ready to make the next step. Obviously the huge caveat to that is there's really no indication that the pass protection issues are getting sorted out. I mean, right. last week, the six sacks, I think at least half of those were probably on Kaya Sharon for, uh, going the wrong direction or you know making the wrong decision, whatever. But they still sacked the guy six times. Will Levis has been sacked 19 times. Um, it's easy to say at Ole Miss we were really good, except for those two fumbles at the end of the game. But those two fumbles did happen, and one of them was because Will Levis got sacked from his blind side. So if that continues to pop up, A, you're risking Will Levis getting hurt again, which we now know they definitely cannot <laughs> withstand. And B, that's just going to be a huge drain on the offense moving forward. So until I know that the offensive line has some hope or they found out a strategy to you know scheme around their pass protection issues, I, I have my doubts. Um, but I do think he has a point that they were a, they were better for most of that Ole Miss game, and especially those two fourth-quarter drives before the fumbles, uh, with Will and Chris both out there, assuming their receivers are healthy, which is a question mark this week that they have another step in them we haven't seen yet. How much do you think uh, Jeremy Flax was not available last week? Uh, do you think he is, is he supposed to be available this week? And how much do you think that hurt him last week, the starting right tackle? He was big. I mean, all we've heard this week is that he, they're optimistic, uh, I think is what Mark said on Monday, that he might be able to play. Um, I don't know that he's practiced very much. We talked to Zach Yenzer on Tuesday. Uh, and he said they were still working through some injury issues. Obviously, that was the third game that they had started uh, out of uh, out of six. They've only started their first string offensive line three times. And so that was another one. He said he thought that uh, DeAndre Buford, which is the latest kind of uh, experiment they've they've put on the first team line after David Walbaugh, obviously uh, kind of got shuffled to the side. Practiced really well last week, played okay for the most part, but then it sounded like those two sacks on that first or third quarter drive that really put them behind the chains and basically um, were kind of the turning point of the game because uh, South Carolina took control of the ball after that and, and Kentucky was forced to play from behind. Both of those apparently were on Buford. And Yenzer was pretty honest. He said he thought those two mistakes really shook him and it took him a while to rally from that. So that's not a great indication so far. It's not a great sign of moving forward. I mean, even if you're, it's, that's the problem about being an offensive lineman. Even if you're good 90% of the time, you make two key mistakes at the, at the critical moment of the game. And, and that's all anybody's going to remember. So they definitely need flags back. I mean, he's not been perfect by any means, but it did sound like they were happy with the way he was trending uh, before his, before his injury. Yeah, another interesting thing when we talked to Zach on on Tuesday was he said that uh, you know they they have to do better on one on one. They're getting beat yeah. on one on one situations, which to me, and uh, we, we're taping this on we're taping this on Thursday morning. I was on t- with Tom Leach a little earlier today, and he made the point, which I think is probably a good one. You hear fans complaining about that, uh, you know, maybe the scheme is too complicated for the offensive line. But then when Zach Enter says we're getting beat on one-on-ones, that doesn't seem to uh, 
figure into, hey, it's just too complicated. They're just getting beat, whether it's technique or physically, on simple one-on-one situations. Yeah, I think that's – I thought that was the most honest assessment we've heard of the offensive line and their issues probably all season. I mean, I, early in the year, there probably was more of the assignment stuff with learning a new system. But I, I think the honest answer is right now they're playing guys who are not ready to play, and they don't have any other option because they were not able to go out and reinforce in the transfer portal, and they lost you know three key starters last year, two of whom were NFL draft picks. And they just don't have the guys right now who are ready to play, and especially um, when you're down one of your starting uh, five. That makes it even harder. We, we've clearly seen that for all the talk preseason, all the talk in the spring about how Zach Yenzer was going to bring back the eight-man rotation or whatever. It was going to you know, reinvent the big blue wall in the way that John Schlarman did where he rotated so many guys and got guys ready. They have not played a backup for a single snap this year when the game was in doubt if they didn't have to. I mean, we've seen it with guys forced into it because of injuries. There were, I think, one possession each against Youngstown and uh, in Miami, Ohio, where they got the backups in at the end of the game to hand the ball off. But otherwise, they've just kept that starting five out the entire game because they, they can't really trust those guys yet, but they certainly can't trust the guys behind them. And I think that one-on-one comment was a real indication of that problem. Uh, you also you asked uh, Zach about uh, Keontae Goodwin, the highly regarded freshman, uh, a top recruit to Kentucky. Uh, you know, the Kentucky uh, signed over the last year, true freshman this year. Uh, you know, it sounds like he's de- you know he's developing, but they just don't think he's ready to throw him out there. That's the breed for sure. I mean, it's been interesting in the last two weeks is as we we stand over in one corner of the field to talk to whatever coordinator of the day and on the very opposite side of the field, they have been working with two or three offensive linemen after practice every day. Keontae was one of them. Uh, Buford was one of them last week. I think Paul Rodriguez is out there. Uh, Yenzer said that Nick Hall, another freshman, is one of the guys they've got working out there. They're just trying to get them extra reps because some of those guys are on the scout team during regular practice and they don't get to work with the uh, the first team offense very much. I, I assume they're desperate to bring them along in case they can help in the second half, but it just feels like, I mean, the, the comment that Zach made was uh, when Keontae knows what he's doing, he's got a chance, but his real issue is like getting off on the snap count, which yeah. if he doesn't have the snap count down, it's easy to understand why they don't have him out there. I do keep having these flashbacks to that year. It was Drake Jackson's red shirt freshman year. When they had, I think it was Nick Haynes, they started at center, and then they tried Munchie Stallings at center, and they just could not snap the ball. For like the first three or four games of the year, they were snapping over people's heads, and it was a disaster. And people kept saying, why isn't Drake Jackson playing? Why isn't Drake Jackson playing? And they were like, he's not ready. He's not ready. And eventually, they just bit the bullet and said, we got to put him out there, and he never looked back. He just started for the rest of his career at Kentucky. I don't think that's the case this year, but I do wonder at what point you just got to throw him out there and see what happens. Because he's already burned his red shirt. That's the weirdest part is they've played him in every game on the field goal unit. So he's not going to be able to red shirt this year. And I guess maybe they're just assuming there's no scenario where he'd be here for five years anyway. But if you've used his red shirt, he's the only freshman that, that's played more than four of the games that's not playing a significant role on offense or defense. And so he's, he's kind of in this weird spot where they clearly think he's going to play at some point, but we just haven't seen any, any indication it's coming soon. You know, a name that's uh, uh, sort of forgotten about that I 
uh, and listening to a football podcast that I listened to, and they talk about you know possible prospects, NFL draft prospects, and they brought up the name of Tyler Steen at Alabama, yep. transfer from Vanderbilt. They said he's playing really well. He's playing himself into where he could be, you know, an NFL draft pick. Uh, isn't he a guy that Kentucky, when he was in the transfer portal, looked at Kentucky or Kentucky was trying to get to come here? And how different would have would it have been if they could have gotten somebody like Tyler Steen? Yeah, it's a huge deal. I mean, it seemed like they were all in on him in terms of like Tyler Steen or nothing in the transfer portal. And in defense of them, I think that's a position where it's really hard to find impact guys just because there is a transfer available doesn't mean that he's better than the guys you have. Um, I think, honestly, we're seeing some of that with Tayshawn Manning to where he's a starter for this team, but there's real reasons that he you know, got passed over at Auburn and was in the portal to begin with. Right. But Steen, it felt like, at least from the recruiting analyst, was going to come to Kentucky at one point. But Eric Wolford, uh, the former offensive line coach, left right. and went to Alabama, and then Steen went with him to Alabama. And so if Alabama really wanted him, I'm skeptical that he would have just not picked Alabama anyway. But because of the offensive line coach moving from Kentucky to Alabama and you know recruiting him at his new school, that is another kind of wrinkle to this whole how the offensive line got in the position it is now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's switch over to the defense. Uh, we talked to Brad White yesterday. Uh, I thought Brad uh, had several interesting things to say. One thing, uh, what he said about uh, the defensive coordinator, what he said about the last, you know, uh, games, uh, the last two games, but really it's been kind of a trend for most of the year where they've kind of gotten off to a slow start, uh, but played really well in the second half. Uh, it was just the opposite at South Carolina against South Carolina on Saturday. They played really well in the first half. You can make the case they kept them in the game in the first half, but in the second half, especially in that third quarter, they had all kinds of problems. Uh, they just haven't put a, to Brad's way of thinking, just haven't put a complete game together, correct? Yeah, it's funny. I think he's been asked this a couple times this year about the importance of fast starts against some of these high-octane offenses, and his answer is the same every time. It's like, it was great to have a fast start, but if you have a fast start and you play bad at the end of the game, doesn't matter. Or if you start slow and, and you know play good in the second half, doesn't matter. you got to put the whole thing together, and we haven't seen that. I think that's the one real criticism of the defense so far. I think overall they've been really good, but they have not had the whole the whole full four-quarter performance yet. And with the offense struggling at times, especially when you don't have your starting quarterback out there, they needed the defense to be close to perfect last week, and they, they just weren't. And so you wonder just mentally what kind of toll that was on their players when they knew they had to be perfect, and then the offense starts the way it does with the fumble on the reverse. They still hold them to seven points in the first half. Um, and then, you know, things just kind of spiral out of control really quickly in the third quarter. And, and you just wonder if maybe it just got to be too much at that point, because it did seem like there was maybe some like focus issues, some missed tackles, which hadn't been a problem for much of the year, but certainly a problem on Saturday. Nobody has a great ex- answer as to why those things pop up occasionally, but I think focus is a, is an issue. And, you know, DeAndre Square, I think it was, said basically, like, you got to want to tackle the guy because he wants to run through you. And, and so it seems like maybe that was a problem on Saturday, too. And it could be a potential big problem on this Saturday because Mississippi State, they throw a lot, you know, the air raid offense, Mike Leach's offense. They're running the ball more than they have under Mike, but they still consistently rely on those short throws, quick throws. And as DeAndre said, you know, we don't want to have a two-yard pass turn into a seven-yard gain on first down because somebody somebody missed a tackle. That, to me, that's going to be a huge factor on Saturday. 
Yeah, if you look at the last two years, the last two meetings between these two teams, the way Kentucky's defense has played, I don't know that you could have two more drastically different results. I mean, 2020, they had, what, six interceptions. I think it was the first time ever that uh, Mike Leach's team had not scored an offensive point in the game. They they scored a safety, so they didn't get shut out. But Kentucky just shut them down. And then last year... Will Rogers comes in, I think, I don't know if it's the SEC record, or the Mississippi State record for completion percentage, but he was like 36 or 39 or something crazy. And I think they ran it 35 times in that game too. And it was because Kentucky just couldn't tackle the guys. And so like Brad White brought it up yesterday. I mean, that was the difference in 2020. They made those tackles in, open, in space in the open field and last year they didn't. And so if those tackle issues from the South Carolina game show up again, this week, it's going to be a long, long afternoon or long evening, I guess, for, for the defense. They've got to figure out a way to, to get that fixed quickly. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting talking about that game uh, in 2020, Mike Leach's first year at Mississippi State running the air raid offense. Uh, I think it was uh, Missouri. Barry Odom, I think, was the coach at that time. Or maybe he was Barry Odom. Was it, I think he may have been defensive coordinator at Arkansas. And they played uh, – uh, Mississippi State. He did the rush three, drop eight. They did a good job against Mississippi State. I think Kentucky played a variation of that when they played them, and as you mentioned, had the six turnovers. The other uh, last Saturday, I wa- went back and watched the Arkansas Mississippi State. Looked like Arkansas used the same sort of. Um, defensive scheme they were only rushing three guys for a majority of the game and state just picked them apart one thing is they ran the ball especially on first down a lot more than leach's teams i'm going to be interested to see on saturday what what sort of approach kentucky's defense takes uh against this mike leach offense will they play that you know drop eight or will they try to get more of a pass rush and pass rush as well as this defense's play pass rush has been a problem yeah, I mean, I think in general, Kentucky's philosophy is to let you kind of dink and dunk down the field and, and not give up big plays. That seems to be just who they are as a defense and not to bring these kind of exotic blitzes. We just don't see them do it very often. And I think that's translated in the sack numbers. But you also hear the last couple of weeks when they've had some of these mistakes. I think Mark Stoops brought it up at one point that a couple of those big runs were when they sold out for the blitz and, yeah. and got burned on it. And so that makes you think they're probably even less likely to do it. But we did see the one, um, I think, safety blitz last week where Tyrell Aging got home and, and sacked the quarterback. So if they can you know, make Will Rogers you know, speed up and not have all day to stand there and, and figure out who he wants to throw it to because it, he's got like 10 different receivers with 100 yards this year or something crazy like that. Right. That will be a big deal. But I think it's probably going to have to come from that defensive line, which is why a guy like Deion Walker is probably going to be really important because he seems to be their best chance of a defensive lineman who can find his way in the backfield, you know, without bringing extra guys on the blitz. So that uh, speaking of really important, what what are the keys Saturday? What do you what do you what do we need to see from Kentucky to have a chance to beat Mississippi State, who's playing really well right now? I think they have to score in the 30s, which we've only seen them do I think once this year, maybe maybe twice. So that's that's the start. Will Levis has to be Will Levis, and you know the the pairing of him and Chris Rodriguez has to pay off. And then I think the tackling thing we talked about, like this defense, they're still going to be down Jacquez Jones, which, you know, it sounds like D.R. Jackson played pretty well in, in place of him last week, but it's it's a big loss in terms of leadership and energy and all those things. Uh, the secondary was not probably had their worst game or worst half, at least, against South Carolina. Those guys have to perform better. Uh, they were a real issue in the game last year, so I think that they've got to step up and make those open field tackles and run support that we have not seen at times. So, um, if they tackle well and 
Will Levis plays uh, his potential, uh, you know, it maybe comes down to turnovers. Kentucky turned it over a bunch last year, and obviously Mississippi State did in 2020, so it wouldn't be shocked me if whoever wins the turnover battle wins this weekend, too. Yeah, it's funny about De'Eric Jackson. To me, it looks like he's played, you know, really well. But every time when we asked Mark or uh, Brad about, you know, how do you think that De'Eric Jackson played, and they they always stick a caveat on there. Yeah, he played yeah. pretty well. But there were a couple of times on run fits where he just didn't, you know, he didn't do what he was supposed to do. So I think they're probably – he's playing well, but I don't think he's quite to Jacquez Jones's level, at least in what they want him to do. I, to me, a key – a big key in this game, obviously everything you talked about, I think is definitely very much key Saturday night. But they, they just can't make – some of the mistakes they've made the last two games. I go back to, uh, I watched the Mississippi State LSU game, the only game that Mississippi State has lost this year. That game kind of turned on a muffed punt. Austin Williams, their punt returner, and uh, uh, Parrish Offer talked about this uh, on the podcast, earlier on the podcast in the Mississippi State review. Uh, They muffed a punt at LSU got the ball in great field position. It pretty much turned the tide in the whole game. LSU went on to win a comfortable victory. And then if you look at the mistakes Kentucky's made in the special teams, getting a punt block to South Carolina, missing those field goals, the the operation on the snap, um, you know, back to the holder, getting the hold right. To me, those little they can't continue to do those little things and win against SEC opponents. So they they got to get that cleaned up some way. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that some of those mistakes, I mean, those are huge high profile mistakes, but like there have been some little things that have been huge too. Like you think to the Cavassier smoke dropped pass on the screen Absolutely. at Ole Miss, which could have been a touchdown. And there have been a couple, I mean, they've, the defense has been pretty good at forcing turnovers this year, but there have been a couple interceptions that they dropped too right. in key moments. And so like, you can't do that against good top 25 SEC teams and expect to win. Yeah, I still think Rich Gangarello lies awake at night thinking about that drop pass on the screen <laughs> pass because they thought that was going to go for a touchdown. And I sort of forgotten, somebody else pointed out to me, that right after that they, is when uh, they missed the field goal on that same drive. So they got nothing. They f- felt like they had the perfect play and they got nothing out of the draft. Then again, I'm sure they thought they had the perfect play to open the game against South Carolina on the reverse, <laughs> and that turned into a disaster. So <laughs> Apparently it was open if you look at the – I haven't gone yeah. back and watched it closely, but if, if – they had just made the the pitch it, he was he was clear to go for a yeah. long while yeah yeah absolutely it's when you know you make the perfect call but uh you make a really good call but a bad result i think about the play levis's fumble first fumble at at all miss to me it was a really nice call because yeah. levis hadn't really run the ball he hasn't really run the ball on those on those zone read keepers all year so he does it in a very important uh, spot he's got the first down or it looks like he's going to get the first down and then he gets hit and we have the fumble so you know as as they like to say that's football so and we'll have plenty of football we've had plenty of football coverage already we'll have plenty more leading up to the game on saturday uh remind the listeners john how they can find you on twitter yeah it's john hale j-o-n-h-a-l-e underscore h-l and John will have his predictions online on Kentucky.com as well, and then plenty of coverage during the game and after the game, so be sure and look for all of that. John, as always, uh, thanks for being on the podcast, and I will see you on Saturday. Sounds good. Okay, that's it for this edition of the John Clay Podcast. My thanks, as always, to Parrish Alford of the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal and John Hale of the Herald-Leader and Kentucky.com. Thanks to everybody who listens to the podcast 
reminder, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio Podcasts. That just helps more people find the podcast. We'll have another podcast uh, reviewing the game on Sunday with Mark Story, my friend and colleague at the Arrow Leader. Uh, you can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark C. Story. Thanks again to Paris Offord. Thanks again to John Hale. Thanks again to everybody for listening. We'll catch you next time on the John Clay Podcast.